So please, uh, if you're willing and able, go ahead and stand in um, honor of God's word. And you can follow along as we read. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain? So I ask again, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bissy. My favorite person to preach after doing the scripture reading. Oh, goodness. Hey, well, I'm Cam. If I haven't met you, I'd love to. And I am, uh, I'm excited for this morning. Uh, even just what Jordan said, it's just great to be together, isn't it? Like, there's just nothing like a lingering passing of the peace that's nearly impossible to stop every single week. It's such a gift, though. It's great to be with God's people and to be together. And um, well, let, let me, do we have any teachers' kids or coaches' kids in the house? Like, you grew up as like a teacher's kid? Just teacher's pets. I know there's some teacher's pets in here in the front row, you guys. I know, I was just sitting there. I'm a teacher's kid, man. That's the point. Um, So I grew up as a coach's kid, and my dad um, ingrained something into me as like a third grader, like in me, hard. And it was about body language, okay? I have this like distinct memory of playing rec basketball as a third grader. And I don't know if I like missed a couple shots or whatever, but I came out of the game, and I just plopped myself on the bench, and I was like rolling my eyes, like really annoyed. And my dad walked down out of the crowd and grabbed my shirt, and he said, don't you ever let your back touch the seat. And I was like, yes, sir. Like, and my back is yet to touch a back thing. Like, I might as well sit on a stool for my whole life since then, right? But what he's always taught me as like a teacher and a coach is like, your body language matters, right? Like, body language is like 99% of communication or something like that. I don't think that's the right stat, but it's something like that. It's really high. It's like, I could have Googled that, but I just forgot. Um, it's really high. Body language is a lot of communication. And so I, I've been kind of considering that even as I've read this passage. And I wonder for us, like if you could form your own body language, if you could form your posture this morning to how you relate to God, to how you relate to yourself, even the world, like what would your, what would your posture look like? Like, would you be crawling around on the ground, like searching for things? Or would it just be like a still frame of you just like in a dead sprint, like you're just going so fast all the time? Or would you just kind of be apathetic, like a 10-year-old cam on the bench, like, oh, here we go, just another day, you know? Or maybe you're like afraid and timid, kind of shriveled up, pulled back, insecure, not confident. What would your your posture look like? 
And I, I think even as we read the passage this morning, and I think what Paul is trying to teach us and where I really want to go this morning is that the primary posture, the body language, if you would, of a Jesus follower is one of receiving. The primary posture of a Jesus follower is one of receiving. If it was body language, it would be with our hands open, ready to receive something from God. And for a lot of us, man, receiving is like super uncomfortable, right? Like, don't pay for my dinner. Nuh-uh. I'm, I, got the ta- I got the tap. You know what I mean? Like, there's some, you got friends like that, and if you're not that friend, you're the, you're the one who probably does that, you know? Receiving is hard. Receiving compliments, encouragement, you're like, oh, don't look at me. Don't tell me how great I am. Like, receiving is awkward. It's uncomfortable for some of us. But how we relate to other people ultimately is how we relate to God, too. So if you can't receive, it's really the thing that a lot of times is the most frustrating part of our relationship with God. And I wonder even this morning if that might be one of the things. It's not necessarily what we do, but our approach, our posture of how we approach the God of the universe this morning. And so I want to really lay out two ways of life and contrast two ways of life that I think the scriptures are inviting us to to, to look at, even in our own hearts this morning. One is a way of receiving and the other a way of, of earning or striving and so we're going to pray this morning, and then we're just going to get into the passage and see what Paul has to teach us, and ultimately the Holy Spirit has to teach us about how do we receive this morning from God. So even if you would, would you, would you just open up your hands this morning? And I'm just going to pray for us. Yeah, the teacher's pets had to close their Bibles and their notebooks to open their hands. The front row, I heard them all smack at once. All right, let's pray. Father, we only bring our real selves to you this morning not our achievements, not our accomplishments, but, but just who we actually are. And we ask that you would speak to us. We want to receive from you this morning. Teach us to be people who receive your word, receive your spirit, and ultimately receive the grace that you are lavishing on us this morning. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. Just to come, Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. You're, you're the one what we need. We don't, have, we don't have more information. We don't have more insights or more knowledge this morning, but we, just, we need to really encounter the living God this morning. So we invite you to come. Amen. Well, let, let's get into it, okay? Right away, verse one, Paul, what an intro, you know? I was thinking about it. Me and Mark were talking. What if I just started the sermon the way Paul starts this, this section of the letter, you know? You foolish Colombians, who's bewitched you? Like, can you imagine like the audacity of this guy? You know, he, that's how he starts. Says, "You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you?" It says, "Before your own eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified." And we got to understand something here: the Galatian church here, the, the, the audience that he's talking to, they didn't actually see Jesus on the cross. They didn't actually see it with their own eyes. Jesus crucified. So the same things he's saying to them, he could actually be saying to you and me. He's saying, wasn't before your own eyes, Jesus clearly portrayed as crucified. Wasn't it explained to you, communicated to you that the means, that the way of your salvation is only through Jesus on a cross. The way for you to enter into a relationship with God, to have your sins forgiven, to live in the freedom that Jesus has invited us into is only through a crucified Savior, right? Paul in another place to a, to a different letter, to a church in Philippi, he says this. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he just goes off his, his whole resume. 
that won't make sense to many of us. But he says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Jesus. Right? He's saying, look, if anybody could earn their way to God, if anybody could do it, if anybody was going to do enough and be enough, it's going to be me. It's going to be Paul. If anybody had enough righteousness of their own, he's like, I had it. But none of that matters in comparison to knowing Jesus. He keeps going, same letter. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him. And he says this, not having any righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So he says this, right? He says, all that I am, all that I've done, it wasn't enough. He says it was garbage. That word, that word is actually way worse than garbage. I'll let you look that up. It's deeper and darker and dirtier than garbage, okay? It is. Scubala is what it is in the, in the Greek. But anyways, I'll let you Google that later. But the book of Isaiah says the same thing, right? He says that your righteousness is but filthy rags before God. You on your best day is not even close to enough, to good enough. And he says, I, that righteousness, I couldn't earn it. But this righteousness, he said, it comes from God. It's a received righteousness. It comes from the son of God taking my place, taking my sin, my shame, my error, my wrong, all on himself. He takes it and then he gives me his righteousness. That he who knew no sin, who was righteous, he became my sin so that in him, I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That he, bef- he appeared before God as if he were you or me. And the crucifixion is about Jesus dying the death that you and I were supposed to die and then gifting us his life, his identity, his authority, his relationship to the Father. I remember I got lots of coaches, kids illustrations this morning. So I'm sorry. It's just, you know, I'm a one-track pony. It's like, you get one thing, it's all I got today. Anyways, my dad was a coach. Always, when I was like a, a middle school, he was a high school basketball coach in my high school. So when I was like elementary school, middle school, I'd come up to the, to the little lady at the ticket booth and I'd always tell her, hey, like I don't have to pay. Like my dad's a coach, so just let me in. And most of the time, you know, I developed a relationship, a rapport. They would just kind of let me in. But sometimes there'd be some new lady who would come in there and, I, and she'd be like, who are you? And I'm like, Coach Michael's son, you know, like let me in. You know, this is, this is how this thing works. And then sometimes I have to go get my dad. And my dad would come up, you know what he said? He's like, hey, he's good. He's with me. And you know what I did? I just would walk right in, right? Because my dad had, because of my dad, I had access. That was it, right? I didn't come up to her and I wasn't like, hey, listen, I don't have a 4-0, but I've got mostly A's and B's, you know? I'm all-time quarterback at recess, so it's a big deal, you know? There could be two quarterbacks. They think I'm so good that I'm the only one. So she would have been like, sorry, sir, $5, you know? But because of the access that I had, only because my dad, my resume wasn't enough. My reputation wasn't enough. It was just my dad saying, yeah, he's with me. That's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. You don't bring your earnings, your resume, your nothing. It's just, yeah, Jesus, he's with me. He's good. He's one of mine. And what Paul is trying to say here is he's saying this, why then are you trying to accomplish by your own works and your own efforts what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross? His final words on the cross, right? Remember what they were? They weren't get to work. They were, it is finished. 
that he is enough. And so Paul, he continues, he doesn't just say that. He says, and now what was started by the spirit, are you trying to perfect by the flesh? That which was started by the spirit, now are you trying to perfect by the flesh? Right? And you, you ever hear a testimony sometimes, you know? Someone comes up here and I have no problem with it. But they'll be like, you know, I was a wreck. I was a mess. And then I found God and my life changed. And I actually, I'm like, praise God, I love that. But secretly in my own mind, I'm like, as long as you know, you didn't find God, you know, he, he found you, you know? Like, I'm like, I live in a town where you can get pretty much anywhere, we all do, you know, where you can get pretty much anywhere in like 15 minutes. I just want you to know, I use my GPS 75% of the time still to get home. Like, I have no idea. I drive to Colorado sometimes from here. And all I have to do is get on I-70. It's like three turns. And I have my GPS on the entire time, right? And you guys do too, some of you, especially the younger folk. You know, everybody else is like landmarks, but not, not the young folks. Like, you turn a left at the rock. I'm like, what? Like, all right, Google Maps me, bro, right? But, but how in the world am I going to say, like, I found God. Like, he, I, didn't, I can't even so much as find my way home or to the highway without a GPS, let alone find the creator of the universe. But right here, it says that the spirit is the initiator, that God comes and finds us. When, when, when Jesus tells a story about how God finds his children, he talks about us in, in a way that we're sheep and that we follow our own way and we end up being lost and alone and afraid. And what does he do? He comes after us. We don't wander our way back to God. It's always, he is the initiator. He starts it. That's the Holy Spirit's role in this thing. Jesus even says this when he taught on the Holy Spirit. He says, he will glorify me. Or 1 Corinthians 12, he says this, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so you and me, we are nobody except for people who have responded to the loving initiation and invitation of the Holy Spirit. And some of you, you like really remember that moment where something clicked in your head or in your heart and you realize you were in desperate need of someone to save you, that you were not enough that you needed someone to lead you and be for you what you could not be for yourself. And then what was your response in that moment? Right? First John 1 John 1.12, he says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We received him. Our role in this whole thing was just to say, all right, sure, yes, yes, come in. I, <laughs> I welcome the, the free gift of grace. You just received the gift that is Jesus. You open your hands and trust him. And in a moment, you go from death to life, from outside the family to inside. You're given a new identity as a beloved son or daughter. And all you did was receive. And so Paul, he just keeps going here, right? He says, and that which was started by the spirit that you just received, why are then now are you trying to perfect that by the flesh? And flesh, right? That's like a little bit of a church word. So let's just talk about what flesh means, okay? Flesh, right? Like nobody in our news cycles is talking about the flesh, right? CNN and Fox, and they're like, the flesh of humanity is out of control, right? Or ESPN, you know, that's where I get my news, ESPN. Found out the queen died because the golf tournament got canceled. I'm like, oh, the queen, no, oh. And we're only playing three rounds, that's crazy. Anyways, the flesh. What is the, what is the flesh? Well, the flesh ultimately is just, it's, it's the source of sin in our lives. There's another spiritual word. We're just going to go there today. Flesh. 
sin. Okay, so what is sin? One of the ways we talk about sin, we say this, sin is ultimately us trying to meet our deep need with our own resources. It's us trying to meet our deep longings and hungers and desires and the things that we thirst for and really, really want with our own resources. So our flesh is ultimately our own resources. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, are you so foolish? That which was started by the spirit, are you now trying to perfect by your own resources? Right? Like I think a lot of times when we, when we, when we hear the word the flesh, we, we, we think of like the works of the flesh, the fruit of what the flesh does in our life. But the way Paul's talking about here is the way of the flesh. And the way of the flesh is a way of earning, proving, achieving, self-reliance, trying to do it all by yourself. He's not actually fixated on our practical disobedience, but the way that we try to prove ourselves or rely on ourselves. And ultimately, the way of the flesh always leads to death, right? There's this verse that I have not been able to shake for like the past two years, and it's what Jesus, he's teaching in John chapter 6, verse 63. And he says this, the, the flesh is of no help at all. He said, but it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no help. Your own efforts, your own resources, they're not enough. But he says, it's the spirit, the Holy Spirit that gives life to you. Because ultimately the the way of the flesh, it only leads to an attitude of either entitlement or shame, right? So, so even shame, right? David Letterman, anybody know David Letterman? He was the, he was like the OG, maybe not the OG, but one of the, my lifetime, one of the main late night guys. Some of you are like, yeah, we know David Letterman came. Some of you guys are like, what's late night? (laughs) Like Jimmy Fallon, YouTube, you know? Yeah. He has this thing about how he would go up there every single night. And he says this every night, you're trying to prove your self-worth. That it's like meeting your girlfriend's family for the first time. You want to be your absolute best, your wittiest, your smartest, your most charming, the best smelling version of yourself. But if I can just make people enjoy the experience and have a higher regard for me when I'm finished, it makes me feel like I'm an entire person. And if I've come short of that, I'm not happy. How things go for me every night is, is how I will feel about myself for the next 24 hours. But you know that feeling. I know that feeling. You don't need to host late night to know that feeling of trying to prove yourself again and again and again and failing yourself again and again and again, or maybe being really good and feeling really good about yourself. But whatever it is, it's just dictated on your performance. And whatever that is for you, it's different for most of us. And sometimes it doesn't even have to do with God. We over-spiritualize it sometimes. Mostly it's just you setting some standard for yourself and you falling short of that standard or you reaching that standard. And if you fall short of that standard, you walk around with your head down, you feel ashamed, you don't have the energy that you used to, or you're just kind of faking it, but inside you feel really, really ashamed of who you are. But if you reach that standard, you're like, I'm killing it. 18 quiet times in a row. We're going for 19 tomorrow morning. You know, like whatever that is, whatever the standard is for you, it could be different. But you feel good, you feel entitled. But the problem is when you start to feel entitled, that, that's, that's when in your own life you start to just become annoyed by everybody. That's actually a good thread to pull on. If you feel just annoyed by, by people in your life, most of the time there's some kind of spirit of entitlement that's rising up within us. Ah, these people, so annoying to me. They're bugging me. Usually there's something deeper inside of you because you feel entitled to stuff. You feel like you've earned stuff. You feel like you deserve better. But that's not the way that Paul is teaching us to live. He's saying you don't need to live in shame. You don't need to live in entitlement, but we're meant to live in this posture of receiving. This posture of receiving because the way of the flesh will always lead to shame or entitlement, but it'll never lead to life. 
the only way to life and the only way to Jesus is through the way of receiving. And the way of receiving is the way of the spirit, right? Even Jesus, the way of Jesus was to live a life dependent on the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus' baptism. I don't know if you remember this story, right? Jesus, he comes up to his cousin, John. He's been living about 30 years, but hasn't done so much as anything for any of the gospel writers to write anything about, basically, except for when he was a little kid, he kind of drifted off to the temple. And they're like, we lost Jesus. Oh, we got him. That was it. That was like the only story until he's 30, okay? And he shows up to his, his cousin, John, who's been baptizing people like crazy, calling for repentance. And Jesus comes to him and asks for him to baptize him. He baptizes him. He comes up from the water. And it says two things happen, right? The father's voice booms over creation. And he says, this is my son with whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. But then another thing happens. The spirit comes on Jesus. It says he descends on him like a dove. And then everything Jesus does from that point forward is derived from the Father's affirmation and the Spirit's power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is ultimately what changed and transformed and, and made these scared little disciples into the people of God that we celebrate, right? Like it, it's, the, it's the Holy Spirit that made Peter go from this dude denying Jesus three times around a fire to a 12-year-old girl. So then all of a sudden he receives the Holy Spirit and he's up there preaching to people, calling for people to give their lives to Jesus. Like what happened? Is that the same dude? Like it's not because he has an entirely new life and power inside of him that is the Holy Spirit. It transforms us. And in this passage, even as Paul's talking to the Galatians, it seems regular, right? Have you experienced so much in vain? Right? He says, so again, I ask, did God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? There's a normalcy to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus' invitation to us from John chapter 7. He says this, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And it says this, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. See, we were recreated by the Holy Spirit, not to depend on ourselves, not to strive or to make something happen in and about ourselves, but to live with this ease of the Holy Spirit flowing in and through us, to dwell in a river of love and power and to drink of the Spirit of God. It's the invitation of Jesus. I love it too, because he says, who are thirsty? That deep need, that deep hunger, that deep desire that you really have. Stop trying to meet it with your own resources, with your own efforts, but drink of the Spirit. He's enough. He can do it. And not only that, but ultimately the Spirit does, that's what the Spirit does in us, but then it also just lifts our eyes to Jesus. The way he starts by glorifying Jesus, he continues to glorify Jesus, right? Like sometimes it's not even our performance, like the good or the bad, but it's just our general obsession with our performance that is the biggest hindrance in our spiritual lives, right? But the spirit who glorified Jesus in the beginning, that's what he's doing now. He's lifting our eyes off of our performance. You stop even seeing yourself and you just look to him. And Jeremy and I went to this like little pastor's conference a couple weeks ago and the dude who was speaking was like 82 years old. So I wasn't like that excited, you know? I'm like, all right. But this dude, <laughs> all right. Sorry, we can't be honest in church, I guess. Wow, judgments, goodness. Didn't expect that. Uh, I meant I was so excited to hear from his wisdom and his energy, you know? <laughs> but this dude, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this either, 
but since we're at it, you know, I, I, I looked at him several times while we were just worshiping before he taught. I'm not going to lie. Like I was, I was like moved to tears watching him worship, which is maybe weird to say. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but it just happened. Okay. So, but I just saw him. He's 82 years old. He's just up there with his hand. Like he's just so, he's got this fresh amazement with Jesus. And then he gets up on the stage to speak and the worship, it was just like some 14 year old strumming like today's biggest hits on Caleb. Like I, it wasn't even like, he, he's I, no hymns, no nothing. Like this, it's some 82 year old guy. He's like, oh my gosh, you got up here. and just like, that song was so beautiful. I've never, like there was just this gentleness and this just like excitement and, in, and just joy of who Jesus is in him that I just looked at him like, that's, that's it. That's who I want to be. I want to be amazed by Jesus, not just when I'm 29 or when I'm 40, but when I'm 82, just let me be freshly amazed by your work, by who you are. And he got up there and he, and he spoke and he was amazing and stuff, but you just knew his, he's, he's experienced stuff, you know? He's been through church hurt. He's, people have been annoying him for years, but he just, he's not, it's nothing to him. He's not even, I, I couldn't imagine him getting up there and be like, killed my quiet time today. I'm about to give these people the word, you know? He's just up there like, Jesus is amazing, isn't he? It's compelling to me. We have people in our church like that. that you look at, you're like, man, I just love, I love that in you. And I'm so thankful. That's who I want to be. It's a vision for us. It's why I love us being a multi-generational church. We just see the fruit and the faithfulness of who Jesus is to us again and again and again. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He lifts Jesus. He lifts our eyes off our own performance and just to look and look at him. And what's really amazing is that the, the, the spirit, it doesn't just stay with us when this stuff happens, right? It's not just like, oh, that was great. Let me go back to my room and like play Xbox. Like that never happens, right? It always sends us out. It doesn't just stay with us, but it launches us into our life and our mission and our purpose, right? One pastor says, we should be really afraid to pray, come Holy Spirit, unless we're willing to go with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit both meets us, but then he invites us into a deeper life, a more adventurous life, a life of really following him. And, you know, sometimes preaching is hard because you don't know what examples to use. Like right now, I'd be like, okay, what's a good biblical character that rep- represents this life of following Jesus? But it's great sometimes because the Bible just does it for you. And that's what it does right here, right? Because Paul's just like, like, look at Abraham. I'm like, great, let's look at Abraham, you know? He's like, so it was with Abraham who believed God and it was credited, him, credited, to, credited to him as righteousness, Understand, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through him. And so those who rely on faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. So he's saying even our mission itself, even the going in our lives comes from believing and receiving right? This is, this is the actual invitation. Genesis chapter 12. This is when God reveals himself to Abraham. This is what, this is what it says. Genesis 12, one through four. He says this, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land. And I will show you. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, right? And that's a beautiful promise, right? You're like, this is something you and I are being invited into. We are blessed to be a blessing. We're invited into the family of God. We're invited to be a blessing in the world. A mission is laid before us in the same way the mission 
was laid before Abram, right? But, but the mission isn't always the thing. It's the practicals that are kind of frustrating, right? Like even in the invitation here to Abram, he says this, right? He's like, here's the game plan, Abraham. Abe, Abram, here it is. Go from your country, go to the land, and I'll show you. It's like, okay, all right, let's do it. You know, it's like, but isn't ours kind of like the same, you know? Even Jesus' like last mission statement to us, he's like, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've taught you. You're like, okay, let's do it. And then he says this, and I will be with you always. What's the, what's the practical there? God will show Abraham. What's the practical for us? And I will be with you always. So God is inviting us to, to make disciples, to be a light to the nations, to be a blessing. But what it looks like for each and every single one of us is almost always different. Like after the general mission, the end might be the same, but the means is different. And sometimes it's frustrating, especially for those of us who are like, give me the instructions. You know, like, here's the table. Here's how you're going to build the table. Give me the instructions. What do I do? Step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Let me do it. It's frustrating. But that's how God invites us. The scripture says that his, his word is a lamp unto our feet. Not a spotlight, right? Like, what is a lamp covering? It's only covering the next couple steps. The next couple steps of faith. But it also insinuates movement. But if our goal is to keep in step with the Spirit, the Spirit is already moving. We're moving with the Spirit. It almost takes a lot of the pressure off because the Spirit is already up to stuff in our lives. The Spirit is already up to stuff in your sphere of influence, in your circle, in your workplace, in your friendships, and in your relationships. He's already doing stuff. And really all it is is an invitation to partner with the Holy Spirit, to do what he's already up to. And the amazing thing about God is he could do all of it by himself, but he invites us to be partners with him because he loves relationship because he wants to do it with us. So he invites us into it. He invites us to what, we're all, what he's already up to. And as we respond in faith to his invitation, we end up experiencing more of the Spirit. So two things here as I close, as we talk about receiving from the Spirit and living outwardly. Two A's, okay? This is gonna be helpful. Awareness and asking, okay? Awareness and asking, and then I'll close the awareness of the Spirit's presence. And I love that it says that Abraham, ultimately what he's praised for is his faith. Even in Hebrews chapter 11, we see that Abraham is in this list of all the people that lived by faith. He says that we are, that he believed God, that it was his faith. It wasn't his earning or his achieving, but it was his trust in the Father. It was his trust in God. It was ultimately his awareness of the Spirit and his presence. And I've been captivated lately as I look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Because as Jesus walked by the spirits, like it was almost always, the disciples were almost always confused. Like one time Jesus went to a village and healed everybody, right? And then one time he goes to this pool full of people who are crippled and lame and looking for healing. And he picks out one guy and he heals him. And the disciples are like, yo, why, what, why are you doing this? And he says, well, I just, I just do what the father's doing. I just do whatever I see my father doing. Like there was this, there was this sensitivity and this awareness of what the spirit was doing. That he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't meant to do everything. He was only doing what the spirit had invited him to do. It was this moment by moment in real time receiving from God. And for us, it looks a lot like owning our own weakness, our own dependence, 
right? It's this awareness of his presence in real time, an awareness of your need in real time, and then also his invitation. One of the things that we do in our CG that, that Mark and Allison have, have created as a rhythm is we, we almost always, at the end of our community group, at the end of our discussions, we're almost asking the same question, what is the Lord inviting you into? What is he inviting you? How is he inviting you deeper into life with him, life with each other? And I just wonder for a lot of us, like, could we really answer that? Like, are we aware? Are we considering? What is God inviting me to right now? What is the Holy Spirit up to in my life? And then just continuing to say yes to those things. See, I even believe like right now, like you have someone on your heart or in your mind that is just more prevalent for some reason. Like, I don't know why I just keep thinking about this guy or I can't keep thinking about this gal at my workplace. A lot of times that's a spirit's invitation to pray into that. What is, what is going on there? And learning to follow and listen to the voice of the spirit as he leads us. Too often we get too caught up in the general like mission, but we need to learn how to walk in a relational trust with God. There's people on your heart. Some of you have a special burden. You're just like, I don't know why this stuff just grieves me more than other things. Or some of you, it's something to like learn about that you're just like, man, I just keep thinking about this thing all the time. And it's the Lord inviting you deeper into into life with him. Or somebody that you were like, man, I just feel like I need to get mentored or discipled. And it's to walk in faith, to say yes to that invitation of Jesus. And as you continue to say yes, that voice grows more and more clear. You become more aware of what that actually means to walk by the spirit. And we respond in faith. A lot of times it's risky. It's trusting. It's go to the land and I will show you like, what? What am I supposed to, I'm just supposed to take a step? Like, yeah, I think that's a lot of the time what it, what it looks like. One old dead pastor says, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Spelled risk. If you, couldn't, if you didn't catch that as I was spelling it. For some of you, not in the front row, you know? Back row, people. Scott. Um, <laughs> oh, um, awareness. So it's our awareness, but even more simply than that, and right in line with that is it's just act, asking. It's just asking for more. Let me say this, God is attracted to your weaknesses, not always your strengths. He uses fools and screw-ups and his power is almost always made perfect in our weakness. We relate with our strengths and our weaknesses almost completely counter how the gospel is meant to work, right? We're like, our strengths, I feel great. My weaknesses, not so much. But the scripture says that he uses our weaknesses to make his power known. And so it's just continuing to ask, right? Continuing to put yourself even in positions where you need to ask for more of the spirit. Some of my hardest conversations that I end up having with people, I almost always feel over my head and overwhelmed. And those are always, almost always the moments when I'm like, God (laughs) could really use something right now. You know, I'm like, man, isn't that how we're meant to live life all the time where you're uncomfortable and where you need the comforting power and presence of the Holy Spirit, where you need his leading. Most of us, we just live our lives like, ah, could go either way. But when we live lives of risks, we end up needing more of the spirit and we just ask. And it's how we receive. I am with this story a little bit, but Jesus, he, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's amazing. There's, there's a story, right? There's in, in the gospels, it's in a couple of the different accounts, but, but him and his disciples are moving from one place to the next. And there's just this pack of kids that walk up to him. They run up to Jesus and Peter, you know, it's always Peter, but Peter's like, hey, you know who this is? Not for you kids, you know? It's the Messiah. It's the long-awaited one, you know? Go away, kids. And Jesus, he uses this moment as like a beautiful teaching moment, right? He, he intervenes and he goes, hey, now let the children come. He says, not only that, 
He said, unless you learn to receive me like a child, you will never understand the kingdom of God. He said, Peter, you are way off. Those children are actually right in line with what it means to be a member and a part of this family. It's to receive. I love what the, the Jesus Storybook Bible calls them, you know? Any of you who haven't read them? They call it, he says, let the gift experts come. Because <laughs> you know, if you have kids, they're gift experts. They know. You don't have to tell them. You got to tell them, slow down. Stop asking for things, you know? Do something on your own for once. But kids are like, they're just so excited all the time. They love gifts. They know how to do gifts. But it's learning to get into, inside, in touch with our inner child that actually makes us relate to God in the way that we're meant to relate to him. I love Luke chapter 11. Jesus, he says this. He says, you who are evil fathers, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If there's one prayer that God is just begging you to ask, one that he longs to answer is, can I have more of the Holy Spirit? I need more of your spirit. I need more. Can I have more? And he's saying, yeah, he's a good dad. Most of the time, the reason we, we have a tough time, however our posture is, like however that posture popped into your head, really the deeper thing is how you see God, right? And if it's, if it's one of receiving, it's because you see God for who he is, that he's a generous, kind, loving, heavenly father who loves to give good gifts to his children, who loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him. And some of you are still a little skeptical. You know, I'm like, more, what is more of the Holy Spirit, Cam? How does that work? Because <laughs> I know when I was regenerated by the Holy Spirit, I was also sealed by the Holy Spirit. And I have the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, yes, amen. You have the Holy Spirit. But in the same way, like, I've been a bachelor all week, okay, Kayla, and the kids have been gone all week. Let me say this. I'm in a covenant relationship with Kayla. She is my wife. She was my wife when she left. She's my wife now. But can I tell you, they're coming home today, and I can't wait for more of Kayla. I miss her. I can't wait for her to be here. I have a relationship with her. She, never, she didn't stop becoming my wife. But I need more of her. And usually when we don't think we can get more of something, it's because we don't see the Holy Spirit as the relationship, that he's a relational being and you want more of him, just like you want more relationship with your friends, just like you want more relationship with your spouse or your significant other, whatever that looks like. You want more. And so when we ask for more, we're just asking God to, God, would you just give me more of yourself? I need it. And if that's one prayer that he's longing to answer, it's that one. He's a good father who loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So as I close, we're going to have some people in the back ready to pray, but I just want to have two invitations for us this morning. One is just that prayer. If you're saying, I need more of the Holy Spirit. I want more of God's Spirit in my life. I need it. And maybe if you have a really tough time receiving prayer, or receiving encouragement, or receiving stuff, maybe this would be a great moment to just step out in faith and go and receive something from God. We're just going to lay hands on you. Nothing crazy. We'll say, hey, God, will you just give him more of your spirit? That's it. One invitation. Second invitation, maybe if it's just for more faith to step out and risk. Faith ultimately is just a, a fresh awareness of Jesus's invitation and ultimately his power. So if you feel like you want more of the Holy Spirit or more faith to step out, we want to pray for you in the back. Let me pray right now. Father, thank you that you are a good dad. And that you completely wreck what it looks like to be a dad for most of us. That you love to give to us. And that our posture this morning is meant to be one that receives from you. That we've received in the beginning and our, and our hope moving forward is just to keep receiving from you. 
would you speak to us even now? Would you put people in our minds and in our hearts and um, just specific burdens or just help us to sense and know what the specific individual invitation is to us? And we just continue to invite you to come, Holy Spirit, that we might go with you, Holy Spirit. Amen.